Hello there, and welcome to this episode of Down to Sleep. This is a podcast of softly spoken stories and audiobooks to help you get a good night's rest. If you enjoy bedtime stories, or maybe you just need some noise to help you drift off at night, this is the podcast for you. If it's your first time here, welcome, and if you've been here before, welcome back. It's good to see you. If you have found this podcast useful and you would like to support it, you can get rewards by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com slash down to sleep. You get access to two new readings every single week. There are also complete and full audiobooks to download read by me, such as Coraline and The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and many more. I hope that you enjoy this podcast and find it useful. Enjoy. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Roald Dahl Chapter 5. The Golden Tickets You mean, people are actually going to be allowed to go inside the factory, cried Grandpa Joe. Read us what it says, quickly. All right, said Mr. Bucket, smoothing out the newspaper. Listen. Evening Bulletin. Mr. Willy Wonka, the confectionery genius whom nobody has seen for the last ten years, sent out the following notice today. I... Willy Wonka, have decided to allow five children, just five, mind you, and no more, to visit my factory this year. These lucky five will be shown around personally by me, and they will be allowed to see all the secrets and the magic of my factory. Then, at the end of the tour, as a special present, all of them will be given enough chocolate and sweets to last them for the rest of their lives. So watch out for golden tickets. Five golden tickets have been printed on golden paper, and these five golden tickets have been hidden underneath ordinary wrapping paper of five ordinary bars of chocolate. These five chocolate bars may be anywhere, in any shop, in any street, in any town, in any country in the world, upon any counter where Wonka's sweets are sold. And the five lucky finders of these five golden tickets are the only ones who will be allowed to visit my factory and see what it's like now inside. Good luck to you all, and happy hunting. Signed, Willy Wonka. The man's dotty, muttered Grandma Josephine. He's brilliant, cried Grandpa Joe. He's a magician. Just imagine what will happen now. The whole world will be searching for those golden tickets, Everyone will be buying Wonka's chocolate bars in the hopes of finding one. He'll sell more than ever before. How exciting it would be to find one. And all the chocolate and sweets you could eat for the rest of your life. Free, said Grandpa George. Just imagine that. They'd have to deliver them in a truck, said Grandma Georgina. It makes me quite ill to think of it, said Grandma Josephine. Nonsense, cried Grandpa Joe. Wouldn't it be something, Charlie? to open a bar of chocolate and see a golden ticket glistening inside. It certainly would, Grandpa, but there isn't a hope, Charlie said sadly. I only get one bar a year. You never know, darling, said Grandma Georgina. It's your birthday next week. You have as much chance as anybody else. I'm afraid that simply isn't true, said Grandpa George. The kids who are going to find all the golden tickets are the ones who can afford to buy bars of chocolate every day. Our Charlie gets only one a year. There isn't a hope. Chapter 6 The First Two Finders The very next day, 
the first golden ticket was found. The finder was a boy called Augustus Gloop, and Mr. Bucket's evening newspaper carried a large picture of him on the front page. The picture showed a nine-year-old boy who was so enormous, he looked as though he had been blown up with a powerful pump. Great folds bulged out from every part of his body, and his face was like a ball of dough with two small, greedy, currenty eyes peering out upon the world. The town in which Augustus Gloop lived, the newspaper said, had gone wild with excitement over their hero. Flags were flying from all the windows, children had been given a holiday from school, and a parade was being organised in honour of the famous youth. I just knew Augustus would find a golden ticket, his mother had told journalists. He eats so many bars of chocolate a day that it was impossible for him not to find one. Eating is his hobby, you know. That's all he's interested in. But still, it's better than being a hooligan and shooting off zip guns and things like that in his spare time, isn't it? And what I always say is, he wouldn't go on eating like he does unless he needed nourishment, would he? It's all vitamins, anyway. What a thrill it will be for him to visit Mr. Wonka's marvellous factory. We're just as proud as anything. What a revolting woman, said Grandma Josephine. What a repulsive boy, said Grandma Georgina. Only four golden tickets left, said Grandpa George. I wonder who'll get those. And now the whole country, indeed the whole world, seemed suddenly to be caught up in a mad chocolate-buying spree, everybody searching frantically for those precious remaining tickets. Fully grown people were seen going into sweet shops and buying ten Wonka bars at a time, tearing off the wrappers on the spot, peering eagerly underneath for a glint of golden paper. Children were taking hammers and smashing their piggy banks, running to the shops with handfuls of money. In one city, a famous gangster robbed a bank of a thousand pounds and spent the whole lot on Wonka bars that same afternoon. And when the police entered his house to arrest him, they found him sitting on the floor amidst mountains of chocolate, ripping off the wrappers with the blade of a long dagger. In far-off Russia, a woman called Charlotte Roos claimed to have found the second ticket, but it turned out to be a clever fake. The famous English scientist, Professor Fowlbody, invented a machine which would tell you at once, without opening the wrapper of the bar of chocolate, whether or not there was a golden ticket hidden underneath. The machine had a mechanical arm that shot out with tremendous force, grabbed hold of anything that had the slightest bit of gold inside of it, and for a moment it looked like the answer to everything. But unfortunately, while the professor was showing off the machine to the public at the sweet counter of a large department store, the mechanical arm shot out and made a grab for the gold filling in the back tooth of a duchess who was standing nearby. There was an ugly scene, and the machine was smashed by the crowd. Suddenly, on the day before Charlie Bucket's birthday, the newspapers announced that the second golden ticket had been found. The lucky person was a small girl called Veruca Salt, who lived with her rich parents in a great city far away. Once again, Mr. Bucket's evening newspaper carried a big picture of the finder. 
she was sitting between her beaming father and mother in the living room of their house, waving the golden ticket above her head and grinning from ear to ear. Veruca's father, Mr. Salt, had eagerly explained to the journalists exactly how the ticket was found. "'You see,' he said, "'as soon as my little girl told me she simply had to have one of those golden tickets, I went out into the town and I started buying up all the Wonka bars that I could lay my hands on. Thousands of them. I must have bought hundreds of thousands. Then I had them loaded onto my trucks and sent directly to my own factory.' I'm in the peanut business, you see, and I've got about a hundred people working for me over at my place, shelling peanuts for roasting and salting. That's what they do all day long, those people, sit there shelling peanuts. So I say to them, okay, folks, I say, from now on, you can stop shelling peanuts and start shelling the wrappers off these chocolate bars instead. And they did. I had every worker in the place yanking the paper off those bars of chocolate full speed ahead from morning till night. But three days went by and we had no luck. It was terrible. My little Veruca got more and more upset each day, and every time I went home she would scream at me, Where's my golden ticket? I want my golden ticket. She would lie for hours on the floor, kicking and yelling in the most disturbing way. Well, I just hated to see my little girl feel unhappy like that, so I vowed that I would keep up the search until I got her what she wanted. Suddenly, on the evening of the fourth day, one of my workers yelled, "'I've got it! A golden ticket!' I said, "'Give it to me quick!' And they did. And I rushed it home, and I gave it to my darling Veruca, and now she's all smiles, and we have a happy home once again. "'That's even worse than that Augustus boy,' said Grandma Josephine. "'She needs a really good talking to,' said Grandma Georgina." I don't think the girl's father played it quite fair, Grandpa, do you? Charlie murmured. He spoils her, Grandpa Joe said. And no good can ever come from spoiling a child like that. Charlie, you mark my words. Come to bed, darling, said Charlie's mother. Tomorrow's your birthday. Don't forget, so I expect you'll be up early to open your present. A Wonka chocolate bar, cried Charlie. It is a Wonka bar, isn't it? Yes, my love. Of course it is. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if I found the third golden ticket inside? Bring it in here when you get it, Grandpa Joe said. We can all watch you taking off the wrapper. Chapter 7. Charlie's Birthday Happy birthday, cried the four old grandparents as Charlie came into their room early the next morning. Charlie smiled nervously and sat down on the edge of the bed. He was holding his present, his only present, very carefully in his two hands. Wonka's whipple scrumptious fudge mellow delight, it said on the wrapper. The four old people, two at either end of the bed, propped themselves up on their pillows and stared with anxious eyes at the bar of chocolate in Charlie's hands. Mr. and Mrs. Bucket came in and stood at the foot of the bed, watching Charlie. The room became silent. Everybody was waiting now for Charlie to start opening his present. Charlie looked down at the bar of chocolate. He ran his fingers slowly back and forth along the length of it, stroking it lovingly, and the shiny paper wrapper made little sharp crackly noises in the quiet room. Then Mrs. Bucket said gently, 
You mustn't be too disappointed, my darling. If you don't find what you're looking for underneath that wrapper, you really can't expect to be as lucky as all that. She's quite right, Mr. Bucket said. Charlie didn't say anything. After all, Grandma Josephine said, in the whole wide world, there's only three tickets left to be found. The thing to remember, Grandma Georgina said, is whatever happens, you'll still have a bar of chocolate. Wonka's Whipple's Scrumptious Fudge Mellow Delight, cried Grandpa George. It's the best of them all. You'll love it. Yes, Charlie whispered. I know. Just forget all about those golden tickets and enjoy the chocolate, Grandpa Joe said. Why don't you do that? They all knew it was ridiculous to expect this one poor little bar of chocolate to have a magic ticket inside it. They were trying as gently and as kindly as they could to prepare Charlie for the disappointment. But there was one other thing that the grown-ups also knew, and it was this, that however small the chance might be of striking lucky, the chance was there. The chance had to be there. This particular bar of chocolate had as much chance as any other of having a golden ticket. And that was why all the grandparents and parents in the room were actually just as tense and excited as Charlie was, although they were pretending to be very calm. "'You'd better go ahead and open it up or you'll be late for school,' Grandpa Joe said. "'You might as well get it over with,' Grandpa George said. "'Open it, my dear,' Grandma Georgina said. "'Please open it, you're making me jumpy.' "'Very slowly.' Charlie's fingers began to tear open one small corner of the wrapping paper. The old people in the bed all leaned forward, craning their scraggy necks. Suddenly, as though he couldn't bear the suspense any longer, Charlie tore the wrapper right down the middle, and onto his lap there fell a light brown, creamy-coloured bar of chocolate. There was no sign of a golden ticket anywhere. Well, that's that, said Grandpa Joe brightly. Just what we expected. Charlie looked up. Four kind old faces were watching him intently from the bed. He smiled at them. A small, sad smile. He shrugged his shoulders and picked up the chocolate bar and held it out to his mother. Here, mother, have a bit. We'll, we'll share it. I want everybody to taste it. Certainly not, his mother said. And the others all cried, No, no, we wouldn't dream of it. It's all yours. Please, begged Charlie, turning round and offering it to Grandpa Joe. But neither he nor anyone else would take even a tiny bite. It's time to go to school, my darling. Mrs. Bucket put an arm around Charlie's skinny shoulders. Come on, or you'll be late. Chapter 8 Two more golden tickets are found. That evening, Mr. Bucket's newspaper announced the finding of not only the third ticket, but the fourth as well. Two golden tickets found today, screamed the headlines. Only one more left. All right, said Grandpa Joe, when the whole family was gathered in the old people's room after supper. Let's hear who found them. The third ticket, read Mr. Bucket, holding the newspaper close to his face because he was short-sighted and he couldn't afford glasses. The third ticket 
was found by a Miss Violet Beauregard. There was great excitement in the Beauregard household when our reporter arrived to interview the lucky young lady. Cameras were clicking, flashbulbs were flashing, people were pushing and jostling and trying to get a bit closer to the famous girl. And the famous girl was standing on a chair in the living room, waving the golden ticket wildly at arm's length, as though she were flagging a taxi. She was talking very fast and very loudly to everyone, but it was not easy to hear all that she said, because she was chewing so ferociously upon a piece of gum at the same time. "'I'm a gum-chewer normally,' she shouted. "'But when I heard about these ticket things at Mr. Wonka's, I gave up gum and started on chocolate bars in the hope of striking lucky. Now, of course, I'm back on gum. I just adore gum. I can't do without it. I munch it all day long, except for a few minutes at meal times when I take it out and stick it behind my ear for safekeeping.' To tell you the truth, I simply wouldn't feel comfortable if I didn't have that little wedge of gum to chew on every moment of the day. I really wouldn't. My mother says it's undignified and looks ugly to see my jaw going up and down all the time, but I don't agree. And who's she to criticize anyway? Because if you ask me, I'd say her jaw is going up and down almost as much as mine is from yelling at me every minute of the day. Now, Violet, Mrs. Beauregard said from a far corner of the room, where she was standing on the piano to avoid being trampled by the mob. All right, mother, keep your hair on, Miss Beauregard shouted. And now she went on turning to the reporters. It may interest you to know that this piece of gum that I'm chewing right now at this moment is one that I've been working on for three months solid. That's a record, that is. It's beaten the record held by my best friend, Miss Cornelia Prinsmetal. And was she furious? It's my most treasured possession now, this piece of gum. At night time, I stick it on the end of my bedpost, and it's as good as ever in the morning. A bit hard at first, maybe, but it soon softens up again after I've given it a few good chews. Before I started chewing for the world record, I used to change the piece of gum once a day. I used to do it in our lift on the way home from school. Why the lift? Because I liked sticking the gooey piece that I'd just finished with to one of the control buttons. Then the next person who came along pressed the button and got my old gum on their finger. What a racket they kicked up, some of them. You get the best results with women who have expensive gloves on. Oh yeah, I'm thrilled to be going to Mr. Wonka's factory, and I understand that afterwards he's going to give me enough gum to last the rest of my life. Beastly girl, said Grandma Josephine. Despicable, said Grandma Georgina. She'll come to a sticky end one day, chewing all that gum... You see if she doesn't. Who got the fourth golden ticket? Charlie asked. Now, let me see, said Mr. Bucket, peering at the newspaper again. Ah, yes, here we are. The fourth golden ticket was found by a boy called Mike TV. Another bad lot, I'll be bound, muttered Grandma Josephine. Don't interrupt, Grandma, said Mrs. Bucket. The TV household, said Mr. Bucket, going on with his reading, was crammed, like all others, with excited visitors when our reporter arrived. But young Mike TV, the lucky winner, seemed extremely annoyed by the whole business. Can't you see I'm watching television, he said angrily. I wish you wouldn't interrupt. The nine-year-old boy was seated before an enormous television set with his eyes glued to the screen. 
he was watching a film in which one bunch of gangsters was shooting up another bunch of gangsters. Quiet, he shouted when someone tried to ask him a question. Didn't I tell you not to interrupt? This show is an absolute whiz-banger. It's terrific. I watch it every day. I watch all of them every day, even the rotten ones, where there's no shooting. I like the gangsters best. They're terrific, those gangsters. Especially when they start firing off their guns or giving each other the one, two, three with their knuckle dusters. Gosh, what I wouldn't give to be doing that myself. It's the life, I tell you. It's terrific. That's quite enough, snapped Grandma Josephine. I can't bear to listen to it. Nor me, said Grandma Georgina. Do all children behave like this nowadays? Like these brats we've been hearing about? Of course not, said Mr. Bucket, smiling at the old lady in bed. Some do, of course. In fact, quite a lot of them do. But not all. Now there's only one ticket left, said Grandpa George. Quite so, sniffed Grandma Georgina. And just as sure as I'll be having cabbage soup for supper tomorrow, that ticket'll go to some nasty little beast who doesn't deserve it. Chapter 9 Grandpa Joe Takes a Gamble The next day, when Charlie came home from school and went in to see his grandparents, he found that only Grandpa Joe was awake. The other three were all snoring loudly. Shh whispered Grandpa Joe, and he beckoned Charlie to come closer. Charlie tiptoed over and stood beside the bed. The old man gave Charlie a sly grin, and started rummaging under his pillow with one hand. When the hand came out again, there was an ancient leather purse clutched in the fingers. Under cover of the bedclothes, the old man opened the purse and tipped it upside down. Out fell a single silver sixpence. It's my secret hoard, he whispered. The others don't know I've got it. And now you and I are going to have one more fling at finding that last ticket. How about it, eh? But you'll have to help me. Are you sure you want to spend your money on that, Grandpa? Charlie whispered. Of course I'm sure, spluttered the old man excitedly. Don't stand there arguing. I'm as keen as you are to find that ticket. Here, take the money, run down the street to the nearest shop and buy the first Wonka bar you see. Bring it straight back to me. We'll open it together. Charlie took the little silver coin and slipped quickly out of the room. In five minutes he was back. Have you got it? whispered Grandpa Joe, his eyes shining with excitement. Charlie nodded and held out the bar of chocolate. Wonka's nutty crunch surprise, it said. Good, the old man whispered, sitting up in the bed and rubbing his hands. Come over here, sit close to me, and we'll open it together. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. All right, you tear off the first bit. No, Charlie said. You paid for it. You do it all. The old man's fingers were trembling most terribly as they fumbled with the wrapper. We don't have a hope, really, he whispered, giggling. You do know we don't have a hope, don't you? Yes, Charlie said. I know that. They looked at each other and both started giggling nervously. Mind you, said Grandpa Joe, there is just that tiny chance that it might be the one. Don't you agree? Yes, Charlie said. Of course. Why don't you open it, Grandpa? All in good time, my boy, 
all in good time. Which end do you think I ought to open first? That corner, the furthest from you. Just tear off a tiny bit. Not quite enough for us to see anything. Like that, said the old man. Yes, now a little bit more. You finish it, said Grandpa Joe. I'm too nervous. No, Grandpa, you must do it yourself. Very well. Here goes. He tore off the wrapper. They both stared at what lay underneath. It was a bar of chocolate. Nothing more. All at once they both saw the funny side of the whole thing, and they burst into peals of laughter. "'What on earth's going on?' cried Grandma Josephine, waking up suddenly. "'Nothing,' said Grandpa Joe. "'Go on back to sleep.'" Chapter 10 The Family Begin to Starve During the next two weeks, the weather turned very cold. First came the snow. It began very suddenly one morning, just as Charlie Bucket was getting dressed for school. Standing by the window, he saw huge flakes drifting slowly down an icy sky that was the colour of steel. By evening, it lay four feet deep around the tiny house, and Mr. Bucket had to dig a path from the front door to the road. After the snow, there came a freezing gale that blew for days and days without stopping. Oh, how bitter cold it was. Everything that Charlie touched seemed to be made of ice, and each time he stepped outside the door the wind was like a knife on his cheek. Inside the house, little jets of freezing air came rushing in through the sides of the windows and under the doors. There was no place to escape them. The four grandparents lay silent, huddled in the bed. The excitement over the golden tickets had long since been forgotten. Nobody in the family gave a thought now to anything except the two vital problems, trying to keep warm and trying to get enough to eat. There is something about very cold weather that gives one an enormous appetite. Most of us find ourselves beginning to crave rich, steaming stews and hot apple pies and all kinds of delicious warming dishes. And because many of us are a great deal luckier than we realize, we usually get what we want, or near enough. But Charlie Bucket never got what he wanted, because the family couldn't afford it. And as the cold weather went on and on, he became ravenously and desperately hungry. Both bars of chocolate, the birthday one, and the one that Grandpa Joe had brought had long since been nibbled away. And all he got now were those thin, cabbagey meals three times a day. Then all at once, the meals became even thinner. The reason for this was that the toothpaste factory, where Mr. Bucket worked, suddenly went bust and had to close down. Quickly, Mr. Bucket tried to get another job, but he had no luck. In the end, the only way in which he managed to earn a few pennies was by shoveling snow in the streets. It wasn't enough to buy even a quarter of the food that seven people needed. The situation became desperate. Breakfast was a single slice of bread for each person, and lunch was maybe half a boiled potato. Slowly but surely, everybody in the house began to starve, and every day... Little Charlie Bucket 
trudging through the snow on his way to school, would have to pass Mr. Willy Wonka's giant chocolate factory. And every day as he came near to it, he would lift his small pointed nose high in the air and sniff the wonderful sweet smell of melting chocolate. Sometimes he would stand motionless outside the gates for several minutes on end, taking deep, swallowing breaths as though he were trying to eat the smell itself. That child, said Grandpa Joe, poking his head up from under the blanket one morning, that child has got to have more food. It doesn't matter about us. We're too old to bother with, but a growing boy? He can't go on like this. He's beginning to look like a skeleton. What can one do? murmured Grandma Josephine miserably. He refuses to take any of ours. I hear his mother tried to slip her own piece of bread onto his plate at breakfast this morning, but he wouldn't touch it. He made her take it back. He's a fine little fellow, said Grandpa George. He deserves better than this. The cruel weather went on and on, and every day Charlie Bucket grew thinner and thinner. His face became frighteningly white and pinched. The skin was drawn so tightly over the cheeks that you could see the shapes of the bones underneath. It seemed doubtful whether he could go on much longer like this without becoming dangerously ill. And now, very calmly, with that curious wisdom that seems to come so often to small children in times of hardship, he began to make little changes here and there in some of the things he did as to save his strength. In the mornings, he left the house earlier so he could walk slowly to school without having to run. He sat quietly in the classroom during break, resting himself while others rushed outdoors and threw snowballs and wrestled in the snow. Everything he did, he did slowly and carefully to prevent exhaustion. Then one afternoon, walking home with the icy wind in his face, and incidentally feeling hungrier than he had ever felt before. His eye was caught suddenly, something silvery lying in the gutter in the snow. Charlie stepped off the curb and bent down to examine it. Part of it was buried in the snow, but he saw at once what it was. It was a fifty-pence piece. Quickly he looked around him. Had somebody just dropped it? No, that was impossible, the way that part of it was buried. Several people went hurrying past him on the pavement, their chins sunk deep in their collars of their coats, their feet crunching in the snow. None of them were searching for money. None of them were taking the slightest notice of the small boy crouching in the gutter. Then was it his? This fifty pence? Could he have it? Carefully, Charlie pulled it out from under the snow. It was damp and dirty, but otherwise perfect. A whole fifty pence. He held it tightly between his shivering fingers, gazing down at it. It meant one thing to him at that moment, only one thing. It meant food. Automatically, Charlie turned and began moving towards the nearest shop. It was only ten paces away. A newspaper and stationery shop, the kind that sells almost everything, including sweets and cigars. And what would he do? He whispered quickly to himself. He would buy one 
luscious bar of chocolate and eat it all up, every bit of it, right then and there. The rest of the money he would take straight back home and give to his mother. And that is where we close the book tonight on this episode of Down to Sleep. I hope you're already fast asleep and having amazing dreams. But if you're still hearing my voice, go ahead and pull up another episode or rewind this one and take a nice deep breath and keep trying. With that being said, thank you so much for being here and listening to the free version. I hope that you find it useful. Wherever you are in the world, I am wishing you all the best and the best of sleeps. Make sure to follow and subscribe wherever you are listening to never miss an episode. These free episodes currently air every single Monday. I would love to have you join us for as many episodes as you wish. Until then, all that's left for me to do is to say thank you for listening, and good night.